Welcome back in listeners to another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a wonderful show in store for you today. We are joined by two very special guests. We have the performer and writer Penny Arcade and her collaborator and co-creator Steve Zetner, whose upcoming show, Longing Last Longer, is playing April 27th at 8 p.m., one night only, at the Players NYC, which is at 16 Gramercy Park South. And you can get your tickets and more information at whitehorsetheater.com. Steve, Penny, thank you for joining me today here on Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. It's an honor to be speaking with both of you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Happy thank to you, Andrew. Here. So I'm excited to share the show with our listeners and to learn more about it and to get things going. We're, we're talking about this show, Longing Last Longer. Why don't we start off by, by having you, you tell us a little bit about your show? And Pemi, would you mind kicking us off with that, please? Okay. So Longing Last Longer is a show that Steve Zettner and I created in 2015. Well, actually... We started creating it in 2013. It was developed improvisationally in front of audiences. I think over 13 performances at Joe's Pub and at Theater for the New City. And then it premiered for the first time in Edinburgh in 2015. And it won the two top theater prizes there. And then it premiered in America in December of 2016 uh, St. Anne's Warehouse Theater in Dumbo. So fundamentally, Longing Last Longer, which now has been done, to this will be, I think, the 210th performance. It's been done in 47 cities around the world. It is, I always like to say that what a lot of what I do is cultural criticism you can dance to. So it is a very fast it's a it's a maserati of a show that has a sound score that's developed and performed well it's developed by Steve and I but Steve does 90% of the work on the on the sound score which he mixes live so we like to say it's cultural criticism you can dance to and in those moments when there are fragments there are there are I think there are over a hundred sound cues in this show. And in those moments when it's some of the best music from the past 60 years, in those moments, there's a suspension where the audience then, you know, has their own memories, their own experience, even if they're just hearing particular music for the first time, you know, music can go deeper than words can go. And uh, longing lasts longer originally started out about the end of my of my marriage and then it was Steve had originally wanted to return to that show the original longing last longer uh which was only performed once well over two days in Frankfurt Germany and it was about the it was about longing connected with the end of my marriage and with romantic illusions etc it was a wonderful script, and in 2013, I was invited to do an art show, a visual art show, where I was going to do some work around Longing Less Longer, most notably 
a neon sign in my own handwriting. And Steve said, Hey, why don't we, why don't we return to that? We, you know, we never really did that show. And I said, well, I'm not really interested in that subject anymore. And then Uh longing less longer became about cultural longing. And so, so it's all a very organic process. There are now about 115 script updates for Longing Last Longer. We always can, that's how Steve and I work. I should, I'd like to say a couple of things about my collaboration with Steve, particularly for younger artists out there, because they're always being told to collaborate. And the thing is, collaboration is a very specific thing. And it's also luck is involved, you know? So people think that you just can collaborate with anybody. And often what you end up with is two weak people getting together and making a kind of probably weaker project. And in Steve, in my case, uh, we came together very spontaneously, very eclectically. Steve was shooting live video for me. He had never participated in theater at all or performance. He had a background as an architect. And because my work is very structural, although many people don't know that or they can't tell, he was very attracted to the fact the show changed every night and and kept morphing in the direction of where it was going. So we started to have these long conversations and basically he started to function as a dramaturg. And that was 31 years ago. Over the course of the past 20 years, we've really entered into a much more equal relationship creatively with the work. I mean, I remain the primary conceptualist and writer of the show. I write about, you know, 95% of the show. Steve maintains the overview for the project and is a co-director and of course does all the all important sound scoring and video for the show. So to round up what I'm saying about longing less longer, the the clearest thing I can say about it is I'll say three things. One thing is I'm a map maker, I'm a context provider. So in my work, I try to provide a context for what I'm talking about that you or anyone else can stand in and you can look at my landscape and then you can, just the way you might use a compass, you know, you can look at where you're standing in that same landscape and, you know, what you agree with, what you don't agree with, you know, it's it's an orienting, it's theater is orientation. The other thing I'd say about it is that it is a refutation of nostalgia. So longing lasts longer, basically covers the entire arc of my life. I'm going to be 73. So I started writing it when I was, I wrote it, started, wrote it when I was 63. Looking at the cultural landscape we live in and at all the decades that I've participated in, there's so much nostalgia in the world. You know, a lot of the nostalgia is coming from older people, people my age. And then a lot of the nostalgia just been sold to younger people. And there's a difference between nostalgia and longing. And that's the basic premise of the show. 
which is why longing lasts longer, because nostalgia is a wistful, sentimental yearning for the past, and usually for who we were in that past. And longing is a consistent, persistent sense of loss that attaches to ourselves, our values, our desires, and desires that are not material. I love that. I love the origins of this story and how this show has just continued to change and adapt. And and I and I feel like by doing that, say fresh and new. The the thing with our work is we really make work for the public, you know. Well, predominantly, to be honest, we I make work for myself to share with the public. So our relationship has always been with the general public, which is why we can keep doing the work because we have an audience. And this show that we're going to do at the Players Club is extremely special because of the whole history of the Players Club. Steve, I want to bring you in. You are the other part of this. You're the co co-creator and the collaborator. And I want to know what it's been like developing this show. It's been a trip. It's been a real journey. Our collaboration has matured, obviously, over the last 30 years. But I think as a functional collaborative team, we really got things done quicker and made a much denser, richer, tighter piece than we've ever had before because of because of our relationship has evolved. You know, I mean, Penny and I are our best friends. We've known each other over 30 years. We've done like maybe 10 full length works together. I think longing lasts longer is maybe our my proudest achievement with her just because of how much we've been able to get done with it. As she said, we you know, we constantly evolve the script. I mean, the the piece is a cultural critique. It, a lot of it centers around gentrification. You know, I mean, when Penny talked about the the shift from personal longing to to cultural longing, the cultural longing about gentrification in cities is something Penny's been talking about and we've been working on since the early 90s. This critique has a little bit broader and maybe more intellectual context for that gentrification. And also the piece segues from gentrification of cities to gentrification of ideas and gentrification of the mind, which is also the title of a book by Sarah Shulman. So as it, the piece stays fresh, for a few reasons. I mean, Penny's an improviser, so every night the audience gets a unique experience of the show, a new interpretation of the show because of the vibe that she gets from the audience and what they give her, what she gives back. And we evolve it constantly. Every time we sit down to do another show, like we're going to start to rehearse for the players, we're going to bring in everything that we've been hearing and think about for the last year since we've done the show into this performance. But the other reason why it stays fresh is that Think things don't change that quickly. You know, what's happening politically, socially, the, the the concepts around gentrification, they're evolving slightly, but the same, you know, the identity politics we talked about in the 90s is is the same as before. It's expanded. Gentrification that we talked about in the 90s is similar. If things don't evolve and move beyond, they they become more normalized in a way. They, they expand to become normalized. So I think what this show does, which is useful, and Penny said she's a map maker. You know, life is so confusing. It's so difficult to understand the current moment, what's going on, what are the forces affecting us? 
depends what you're interested in in terms of what lens you see it all through. This show does give some key orientation points that help us really understand what's being done to us culturally, politically, socially. I could expand on that a little bit, but I let, let me just leave it there and, and see where we go. Well, I, I want to just say one thing, and it's many, many years ago, uh, I think when we were working on Bitch Dyke Fag Hag Whore, which was the first show Steve and I worked on together, which is my sex and censorship show, which has been done, I don't know, over 600 times around the world and created the neo-burlesque movement came out of Bitch Dyke Fag Hag Whore because we hired strippers in every city we ever went to. And we did that show in 30, 35 cities around the world. And we left a burlesque a neo-burlesque scene in every one of those cities. And at that time, Steve said to me, he said, social change happens at a glacial pace. And that has stayed in my mind over the past 30 years because it's true. So, you know, there are so many aspects that are new to people in their 20s that I've gone through four or five times four or five incarnations of them since the 60s. Well, turning back to longing lasts longer, I want you to know what's the message or thought that you're maybe hoping audiences will take away. And Steve, why don't I start with you on that? I I think, you know, I mean, what, so, you know, the the origins of the show were personal longing and Penny's breakup of the marriage. The show really is about cultural longing, gentrification. But then at the end of the show, it goes back to personal longing. And, it pairs the idea of, you know, there's always been change in our world, but we posit that change. this time change is different. And one of the reasons I change is different is because the the overwhelming forces of the marketplace and media and the, and the merging of technology and government and finance into like the carpet bombing of our sensibilities. So what's lost in, in the cities with gentrification, there's also a gentrification of the mind that the, the billions of dollars spent to saturate the media with a marketing message has changed us all. And a lot of the values that were pre-free market capitalism, values of history and authenticity and, and continuity are now either co-opted or they're replaced by, by things that are more market oriented. But at the end of the show, the, the show goes back to what, what what's important. How, how do we find authenticity in our lives in this climate? How do we appreciate what we have? And, and how important is the quest for our own personal identity th- from the beginning to the end? What's the trajectory of that landscape look for us, all of us individually, so that as we get older, we can rely upon our personal authenticity? Because that's that's what gives us a place to stand in the midst of all of this challenge is our own personal authenticity and belief system. But that's that's not something you're that you're given or that you learn in school. That's a lifelong quest. And that's part of the longing for individuality. And I think that's I think that's a that's what we leave people with at the end of the show is is that piece of the roadmap. Beautifully said, Steve. That's Steve Zetner. You are really articulate, my old pal. I agree with everything Steve said. I mean, you know, for the past 40 years, I've used my life and my experience 
as a laboratory to report to the public on. And I'm pristine, pristinely honest about my experience, much more honest than I would be if I was just doing it for myself, because I realize the impact that other people have had on me, particularly when they've lied, or particularly when when they've presented only half half truths. In longing lasts longer, you know, it's 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 a journey through my my view of the past 50 years. And the thing that's really fun for me is that young people come, and I mean young, I mean 10 to 18, and they come to the show and they completely get it. You know, and that's like my real audience right now is young, young people because they're the ones on the sidelines who are set to inherit the most difficult circumstances of life that this planet has ever known on every single level. You know, someone, there was a great quote that I read the other day, and it was that capitalism is not in crisis. Capitalism is the crisis. I think that when people come and see longing last longer, and I think in all, I think this is in all our shows, uh, the things that Steve and I, that drew Steve and I together were that our, our values are the same. Our political values, our social values, and they're they are really political humanism. You know, we care about people. We care about making an impact. Like when you say, what is the message of the show? To me, the, the show doesn't have a message. I'm the message, me, at 73, up there, dancing, putting my ideas forward, making a, a condensation of history, of things that I've learned. You know, here you have me, a close listener to the world, a close listener of my own life, of my own development. I know where I screwed up. I know the things that helped me move forward. And all of those things are distilled in this 85 minute show. We, we believe the world can be better. We believe that we can be better. And we do that in the theater. And we create a, a space for people to come and experience a visceral, a visceral physical experience that is mental and emotional, that you go into the theater and when an idea is presented and the public is open, we are sending people out back into the world reinforced and and energized and nourished. You know, and feeling, I'm, and feeling a sense of um, togetherness, because I think right. um, one of the things, you know, Penny said, you know, we share the value of political humanism. The, the theater really, it's really about inclusion. And, and we draw a very diverse audience all the time, partly because of the messaging of the show, but also Penny's kind of warm embrace for the stage. You, we, you know, you have those real theatrical moments where the magic of theater happens. And we all know what that is. It's like suddenly in that room, all those diverse people, there's a there's a current of circulating energy that's piercing yes. everybody's hearts and connecting us all. And you feel it. 
Yeah. And with Penny Show, you feel it a lot. And even for me, I mean, I've done almost maybe eight, 900 performances with her. Every time it happens, I mean, even right now I'm getting chills. Every time it happens, I, I break down a little bit because I know how powerful that is and how how we need that in our life and how theater is an antidote to the divide and conquer strategies that, ha that have been tearing our society apart, keeping all the disparate groups from really rallying against the things they should be fighting for and having a real progressive politic that's going to uh, move things forward. So at, at least we have those moments in the theater where that possibility exists because you feel the togetherness of, of human beings yeah. in the same room, sharing a similar experience. And as Penny says, they take that home, hopefully with some sort of renewed spirit that, that things are possible. One thing we're forgetting to say is that it's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it is a comedy. It's a comedy. Yes, it is. It's a comedy. up just a little for this final couple questions yeah and i want to let our audience kind of pull the curtain back get to know the two of you a little bit better and okay. i want to ask you both what is your favorite part about working in the theater and penny why don't i start with you on that my favorite part of working in the theater is being on stage with the public i love for i've been making my own work well, I've been doing theater for 54 years. I've been making my own work since 1981. And I've always walked a tightrope that is between the stage and the audience. And if the audience doesn't believe it, it doesn't work, you know. So my my partnership has always been with the public. And I'll just tell you a funny little funny story. We were we were doing Longing Last Longer in Australia in 2015 and Steve came and trained somebody to do the sound cues and left and the producer came up to me and said uh, listen he goes uh you know this is such an amazing show he goes but you know you're just you know you're just improvising every night and you're you're not doing the script and I I just spoke to Steve and Steve agrees with me that you need to do a rehearsal with me and I looked at him and I said, but I'm, I'm doing the script every night. He goes, no, he goes, the show is different every single night. So he came to my house and we did this rehearsal. And he's sitting there with the script. And when we finish, he goes, I don't understand. He goes, you said every single word. I said, yes. I said, I do every single night. He goes, well, then how can the show be so different every single night? And I said, because the audience is different. Look, I'll tell you point blank. Anybody who comes to my show is observing a master class. You know, I've been performing for a very long time and I have had, life has kicked the shit out of me not once but 20 times. So as we speak, I'm virtually shit free. So, you know, so that's my favorite part. Steve, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? 
I just feel grateful. You know, I'm not a theater person, even though I've been working with Penny for 30 years and I've done, like I said, 900 productions and maybe 150 cities around the world. I mean, I've learned theater and I'm so lucky to have access to that space and the people who work in that space, the creative the creative minds, all the people that we've associated with over the world, all over the world. I I, I love theater. You know, I, I, I think what I mentioned before about those magical moments where you really feel the power of theater, that I am somehow involved in orchestrating that with a performer who who does does social work. You know, it's not polit- it's not explicitly political work, but the implication of Penny's work and what it does to people, articulating what often they're too afraid to say, and then also putting them in in a space where she can champion things and bring people together. That I'm involved in that at all. I mean, it, it's an honor. So I I love that that happened to me. It wasn't my intention when I came to work. I. I fell into this and I'm grateful. Yes. We have now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests. And between the two of you, I can't wait to hear this answer because this has been amazing to hear the stories you've already given me, but it's what is your favorite theater memory? Oh my word, that's hard. Well, I'll tell you one that that I love. We were in Vienna doing Bitch Dyke Fag Hag Whore, my sex and censorship show. And there was a, the the way we staged that show was we had cabaret tables in the front of the space. And then there were, you know, stands, you know, with seats on the side of the theater. I mean, on the side of the stage, there were tables and there was a woman who was drunk and she talked through the whole show. And this is the first, say, 40 minutes of the show. And at, 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 I think it's around the, 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 I don't know, around the 40 minute point, Steve will know better. I go into the audience in the dark and I talk to the audience in the dark. And this woman was complaining, right? And she said, get back on stage. And I said, well, the stage is where I say the stage is. And then I said, if I say the stage is here, it's here. And I was standing next to her and then I stood on the chair, an empty chair at her table. And I say, and if I say the stage is here, it's here. So now I go back to the to the stage to start the next monologue, which starts, when I was little, and the woman yells out, oh, there she goes again now. Now she's, now she's, you know, doing something else, you know, like I, I don't like this. I want my money back. And I said, well, I said, you know, now it's, we're like, over an hour into the show, I'm like, well, you know, unfortunately, I said, you know, you're not going to get your money back. The show's half over. And she goes, but I don't like it. I said, you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant, you order a vino, a, a, a vino schnitzel, and it doesn't taste like your mother's, but you still have to pay. The whole audience starts laughing. She starts complaining vociferously, I mean, more drunkenly. Two drag queens are in the audience who I had not noticed, well over six feet tall in platform shoes, dressed as nurses. And they had come from Berlin to see this show. They march up to this woman. Each one of them puts a hand under her armpit and they carry her out of the theater 
And as they walk in front of me, they both turn to me and say in thick German accents, it's an emergency. I mean, there are so many, there are so many stories of things and people always think that I've, 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 you know, I've placed it there, but there are just spontaneous things that have happened in our shows, honestly, for decades. I love Now let's see what Steve says. Yeah. Steve, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, I don't have that kind of memory that Penny does to remember something specific. I, I remember when I first started working with Penny, as she said, I was I was an architect turned cab driver and I made my first videos while driving taxi, a piece on racism. So when I started to work for Penny, I started to work on the show Bitch Dyke Fag Hake Horror as the live video operator. And that was the Bitch Dyke Fag Hake Horror started with a 30 minute pre erotic dance show of male and female dancers. As the audience walked in, you'd walk into a go-go palace. And that's that's the show. That's how it starts before Penny comes on stage. So I'm at the foot of the stage and I've got my handheld camera and I'm doing my camera work. And because this was a, you know, the, the idea of putting real strippers and erotic dancers on stage, this is this was a pro-feminist, pro pro-sex post-feminist approach. This was to celebrate the power of female sexuality to take it, you know, and to put it in the theater so that people could see, you know, real strippers performing and not to have a new look at them, to not have a negative connotation, but to see this is a beautiful art form. These women are amazing. And of course, men too. But I asked Penny, I go, so how, how should I film this? You know, and she goes, make it dirty, which to me was so much, it was so liberating. Like you could, you could really objectify the body parts because that's what, that's what made for a good aesthetic. And in the context of this show, that was, it was important to have that video component. So I just remember being 27, 28, being in the theater for the first time. That was my first job filming the erotic dancers at PS122 in 1992 and thinking, how how cool is this? You know, that I'm involved in this big production. This was upstairs. There was 150 people, 180 people, and it was wild. And that was that was my first month in the theater ever. I have I have a little tiny story to add to that one. We did Bitch Dyke Fag Hag Whore in Australia at the Adelaide Fringe in 2019. And one night the dancers were gonna drive me home. So I'm sitting in the car waiting for them. They're outside smoking cigarettes. And this woman in her late 70s comes up to the dancers and she goes, oh, oh, we just saw your show tonight. And we saw all the shows. We've seen so many shows. This is absolutely the best show we've seen. And, you know, my husband, you know, he falls asleep at everything. And he stayed awake through the whole show. She goes, and I have to tell you, my husband is so homophobic, but he was not homophobic at this show. So I'm listening, I'm hearing this from inside the car. I turn my video camera on my phone. As she said, I had already started filming this, right? When the husband sticks his head forward and he goes, you know, he said, I've been homophobic my whole life, he said. But I saw this show tonight and I realized, you know, I've been wrong. Oh, that is amazing. Changing minds and changing lives. One show. Well, I mean, I, I have that on I have that on video. I've I've posted that on Facebook a couple of times. 
it's real. The power of the theater is yeah. real. It is not underrated. It is real. Yes. Those were, uh, all of that was just amazing. Thank you both for sharing those memories. I just have a couple more questions real quick. Are there any other projects or productions either of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're deep in it right now. We're doing my memoir musical, which was, we conceived it as a 10 part episodic musical memoir that will go with the memoir I'm writing and with a, mem- a podcast, a memoir podcast. But we're now thinking we might we might condense it into five episodes. I don't know. But we just did our first one, which is called, the show's called The Art of Becoming. And it's it's a combination of, of memoir, sort of looking back over seven-year periods in my life. And the one we chose to start with is Superstar Interrupted, which is 1967 to 1974. It's about why I left New York when I was a Warhol superstar and becoming downtown theater superstar and chose a life of adventure for 10 years before I came back to New York and resumed doing, I've still kept doing theater, but with you know a variety of other people before I returned to my so-called career. And it's a musical. I wrote six songs for it. And we developed it in two residencies that we created ourselves. And then we did three nights at Joe's Pub, where basically I read I read the script because we had just finished it and did the songs with our music director, Chris Rail, with him on guitar and Ida LaPerry on viola and Matt Gurky on cello. And then we had this opportunity to do a residency at Frigid at the Crane with Erez, gave us a wonderful residency where we further developed it at the same time as I was asked to be ambassador to the Adelaide Fringe. So then we decided to bring it to the Adelaide Fringe. And Steve, three weeks before we left, created video for the show, which is totally outrageous as Steve is. And we did eight performances of it at the Adelaide Fringe. And it was very, very well received. And we will be doing that sometime this summer at Joe's Pub. And Steve and I have just started writing, creating the next episode, which is episode four, 1974 to 1981, called The Reluctant Recluse, which is about the years when I came back to New York and went to live in Maine, you know, without running water or electricity, doing theater in the backwoods, Maine. So wow. it's it's a pretty wild story. So that's what we're working on. And then, you know, working on the memoir, which is really a critical thing for me to do before, you know, while I can still remember everything that's been going on. And then, you know, Steve and I have so many other projects. You know, we just have no end of projects. Steve, do you want to pick up from here? Yeah, quickly. I mean, um, so, I mean, we have the Lower East Side Biography Project. Penny and I, since 1999, have been doing a video oral history project where we make biographies of people from downtown New York. And we've done well, maybe 100 interviews, and we have a weekly television show on public access in New York every Monday at 11 p.m. 
We've interviewed all the many of the downtown greats, and we're still doing interviews. And we're still touring long and last longer. We're going to Norway a couple times this this summer and fall, and you know we're we're busy. So uh, the memoir is the focus. If our listeners want more information about Longing Lasts Longer or about either of you, perhaps they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? I know that Penny mentioned, was it Ms. Penny Arcade at gmail.com? Yeah, mspennyarcade at gmail.com. But is there any other way that they can reach out to you? Uh, you can start with that. I mean, the, the link for the show is the important thing, the whitehorsetheater.com link. And, and we should also shout out to Cindy Mary. Oh, my from Whitehorse Theater. She's really the one who championed us at the players and she's Whitehorse Theater. So Cindy Marion, uh, thank you very much for that. But I think that's the, the for the show. And But you can email Penny directly. Steve, Penny, thank you so much for joining me today here on Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. It's been amazing talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Andrew, very much. My guests today have been the performer, writer, Penny Arcade, and the collaborator and co-creator, Stephen Zentner, whose show Longing Lasts Longer is having a one-night performance on April 27th at 8 p.m. at the Players Club NYC, which is at 16 Gramercy Park South. And you can get your tickets and more information at whitehorsetheater.com. We're going to have all this information as well as some contact info posted on our episode description as well as on our social media. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.